The BBC presents Jet Morgan in Journey into Space. the land transport trucks, Jet, Mitch, and I explored the mysterious pyramid-like city, hoping to find some trace of the crew of the wrecked freighter number two. But once Lemmy was alone, we heard him calling for help. The base of the pyramid was at least a mile square, and at the time of hearing Lemmy's cries, we were on the far side of it. By the time we returned to where Lemmy had been left, he had disappeared. Then, first sending Mitch to search the lowest terrace, Jet and I found our way up to the next which was reached by a flight of narrow stairs, almost too narrow to negotiate in our bulky spacesuits. Well, Doc, how does it look? Um, no different from down below. Not in this direction, anyway. Good heavens, Doc, look! Along there, almost at the corner. Huh? It's Lemmy! Yes! And who's that, bending over him? What's he doing? It looks as though he's trying to remove Lemmy's helmet. What's he trying to do, kill him? Whoever he is, he's wearing a crew suit. And your suit, too. Uh, as soon as you've got it off, get to work on Lemmy. Sure. Still unconscious, Jet. Breathing very shallow and temperature subnormal. What does that mean? I wish I knew. It was the same with you and Mitch when Frank and I brought you in from the ice. The same with Whitaker when we found him unconscious in number six. What is happening, Doc? Lemmy didn't see any orange lights or anything like that, did he? No. He didn't mention any lights anyway, but... 
Just before we lost contact with him, he did say he'd heard that peculiar noise. Just as you did before you blacked out during the first landing at the pole. And as McLean did before number two packed up. He also saw the light. Yes, McLean. What is he doing up there on the terrace? Look, you sure it was him, Jet? I'd stake my life on it, Doc. But how on earth did he manage to breathe when he wasn't wearing a helmet? And why was he trying to remove Lemmy's? Jet, do you remember Dr. Samuel? Uh-huh. What? Do you remember, quite early in the training period, he once gave us a lecture on the possibility of life existing on this planet? Yes, Doc, of course. He told us to expect fairly advanced forms of plant life up here, particularly near the equator. That was about all he did tell us. Mm, there was something else. Eh? He said that if any form of animal life did exist here on this planet, body temperature couldn't exceed 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes, yes, Doc, I remember him saying that. But he also said not to pay too much attention to it, as there could be no animal life up here anyway. Mm. I'm beginning to think that's one thing we'd better start paying a lot of attention to. How do you mean? Because, Jet... Look, whenever you, Mitch, Lemmy, or, or anybody else has been affected by either a mysterious light or sound, you've all lapsed into unconsciousness and your body temperatures have dropped to abnormally low figures. Fortunately, somebody has always been close at hand to drag you back to warmth and safety. You mean but somebody or something might be able to condition our bodies so that we could live quite normally in, in the Martian atmosphere? That's too fantastic for words, Doc. Yes, it's becoming clearer to me now. Whitaker was a man already under the control of some powerful influence that used him as a tool, that somehow contrived to get him into one of our ships in the hope that he would wreck the whole project. That's why there was no record of his ever being to the astronautical college. But Whitaker was a normal human being, No, Doc. no, not normal, Jeff. Far from it. For 47 years, he was just a name in the Bureau of Missing Persons, and then in 1971, he suddenly turns up as a member of our space fleet. Then where had he been during those 47 years? Up here, on Mars. What? Yes, Jeff. Walking around, breathing the Martian atmosphere just as McLean is doing now. You mean McLean has already been conditioned? Uh, has become another Whitaker? And that Lemmy, if we hadn't found him in time, would... Yes. Or at least that's how it seems to me. Well, let us assume that's true. In the case of McLean, at any rate. Well? He was already here, on Mars, but... How did Whittaker get up here? He was kidnapped and brought here. In 1924, when space travel was no more a wild dream... That ship that visited number two and carried off the crew was no wild dream, Jeff. You mean you think it's capable of reaching Earth? I don't know. Oh, Doc. All I do know is that Mars is a planet at least as old as the Earth. Maybe millions of years older. If it has no animal life now, it did once, Jeff. How else can you account for that city out there? Well, if you ask me, that place is thousands of years old, built when life on Earth was in its early stages of evolution, when Mars was probably a planet teeming with all kinds of life, just as Earth is now. You mean there were advanced civilizations up here? Probably still are. Don't you see, Jeff? Mars is a dying planet. It can't support life in abundance anymore. But if there ever were creatures up here, even remotely like human beings who can think and reason and build, they must have long since died out, or most of them. But... Any that are left have the advantage of millions of years of civilization behind them, plus all the knowledge those civilizations must have produced. And who knows what that knowledge could enable them to do. It could enable them to release the oxygen now trapped in the soil and the rocks, revitalize the atmosphere, and keep themselves alive. Yes, always assuming they need oxygen to live. Maybe they don't. But we do. And so does McLean or any human being. Well, there's a small amount of oxygen in the atmosphere still. It would be possible to live in it, I suppose. 
plants in the valley certainly manage it. Yes, I suppose it's possible for animal life to do so, if it were adapted to its surroundings. We haven't seen any animal life. Except McLean. Oh. Oh, oh Lemmy's coming round. Yep. He'll feel very cold when he does, Jet. You'd better get him something hot to drink. Yeah, right, Doc. And meanwhile, I'll check him over again. Long before he wakes up now, Jet. His temperature's almost back to normal. Didn't take long, either. Less than an hour. An hour? Yeah. Quite encouraging, isn't it? Is it? And what about Mitch? Nearly an hour ago, he said he'd be with us in just a few minutes. Good night. I was talking so much, I completely forgot him. Call him up, Jet, for Pete's sake. Hello, Mitch. This is Jet calling. Hello, Mitch. Where are you? Hello? It's no good, Doc. He doesn't answer. Go out there, Doc. Go out and look for him. Oh. No, Jet, wait. I haven't time to wait, Doc. Anything might have happened to Mitch. He might already be in a far worse position than Lemmy was. Ah. Oh. Locks and soup. And bagels. What did he say? He must be waking up, Jet. Then look after him, Doc. I'll put my suit on and get ready no, to go. No, Jet, wait. I want to come with you. Right? But what about Lemmy? Well, give him just a few minutes. I'm sure he'll be okay once he wakes up. Then we can leave him here while you and I go out and look for Mitch. I can't wait that long, Doc. Mitch has got to be found and quick. But what if you go out there and get lost? Supposing whatever's happened to Mitch happens to you, I'll who? keep in radio contact. You'll know if I'm okay. Lemmy was in radio contact with us, but he wasn't okay. And Mitch was supposed to be in contact, too, but we haven't heard a peep out of him for an hour. Then go into the driving cabin and watch me through the window. I promise not to go out of your sight. Now, if there's no sign of Mitch, I'll wait for you to come out or, or come back myself. Let go. Let go. I won't take it off. I shall die. You let go of my arm, do you hear? You're... Jet, 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 help me hold him. Go crying out loud. He thinks he's in a fight or something. Yes, Doc. Let me. Let me. Let go of me. Let go. Let me. He's awake. His eyes are open. Let me. Listen, it's me, Doc. My helmet. Where's my helmet? You give me back my helmet. I shall suffocate. You don't want your helmet, Lemmy. You're in the truck in the living quarters. You don't need your helmet. <laughs> oh, Jet. And Doc. Oh, mate. I thought you was Mr. Vanberg. Who? Vanberg. The fella from upstairs. Look, Lemmy, drink this and take it easy. Hey? Go on. Go on. It's nice and hot. Oh, thanks. I'm all cold inside. I need something to warm me. Oh, what wouldn't I give for a nice bowl of lochon soup? Tea is always got that's hot, Lemmy. Now you drink it. It'll do you good. Yeah. Ta. Where am I, did you say? In one of the trucks, Lemmy. In the caravan. Well, the last thing I remember, I was back on earth, at home, in my own room, just off the commercial road. You had a bad dream. No, Doc. It was no dream. It was real. So clear in every detail, even to the pictures hanging over my bed. And the radio program, it came on at exactly 1.15. Just as it always did in those days. What days? When I was a kid, before we moved out to Hampstead. And my mother was there. And I was wearing my space suit, helmet and all. And she wanted me to take it off and go down to Great Source to be fitted out in a new suit. But I wouldn't. I knew if I took that helmet off, it would be the end of me. It nearly was, Lemmy. When we found you, you were out cold. No, no, and... no, leave it there for the moment, anyway. Huh? Lemmy... Did you dream anything else? Yes, Jet. 
It was a Sunday morning, and I was back home in London, in the market. It was crowded with people, as it always is on Sundays, but I couldn't talk to them. They couldn't hear me. I, I, I don't think they could even see me. But a voice from from nowhere kept talking to me, telling me to go on, on to Bernstein's, where I could get some soup and some bagels and schmaltz, which I'm very fond of. But, Demi, if you were dressed in your space suit, how could you have eaten it? He told me to take my helmet off, but I wouldn't. And next thing I knew, I was, I was a kid again, and back in my room, and then my, my mother came in and she tried to get me to take it off, and then the next thing I knew, I, I was here. Let me, the voice you heard, did you recognize it as belonging to anyone you knew, or, or see the person it belonged to? No, no, I didn't see him. But the voice was familiar. Whose was it, Lemmy? Now, think. Think hard. Well, if it was anybody's at all, I'd say it was McLean's. But it wasn't his normal McLean. voice. McLean! That's what I thought you'd say. But how could it be? Look, I... Lemmy, there's some strange power at work here. You were induced to think you were at home, where you'd be happy, somewhere where you'd feel safe and, and comfortable. And then, having hypnotized you into this state, somebody, using McLean's voice, tried to induce you to remove your helmet. For what for? I can't be sure, Lemmy, but I have a good idea. You don't know it, but while you were under that illusion, you somehow found your way up to the next terrace. And that's where we found you, with somebody who looked like McLean bending over you and about to unfasten your helmet and take it off. What? I'm beginning to see how it all ties up now, Doc. When Mitch and I saw that orange light out on the ice, we imagined and, and were led to imagine that it was the sun and that it warmed us, made us feel safe. So safe that I wanted to remove my suit and bathe in its rays. Now, if you hadn't come up when you did, Doc, I might even have done so. Then you would have died, if not for suffocation and from the bitter cold. Uh, maybe that's just what was intended. And in Lemmy's case, too. But what harm have I done anybody? Why should anybody want to kill me? Uh, I can think of no reason, Lemmy. But McLean isn't dead, Jet. We saw him up on that terrace as large as life. Now, about the rest of the crew of number two? Are they here, too, walking around with no helmets on? And if they are, how can they do it? What makes you so sure it was McLean? How do you know you weren't hypnotized as well? Because, Lemmy, when we got up to you, the catch on your helmet had been unfastened, although the helmet itself hadn't been removed. Had we arrived just a minute or so later, it certainly would have been. But Lemmy's right about one thing. The man we took to be McLean might not have been. He might only have looked like him. If only we knew which. Well, if you ask me, the only way you'll ever know is to find him again and ask him. Mm. How do you feel now, Lemmy? All right, Doc. Just all cold inside, that's all. Yeah. Look, we want you to stay here, uh, alone, for a while. Huh? Well, where are you going? Mitch should have been back nearly an hour ago, but he hasn't returned yet. Oh, blind. We want to go out and look for him. Doc thinks it's safer for two of us to go, which means you will have to remain here. But what if that noise comes back? What if it starts hypnotizing me again? You must fight it, Lemmy. Just as you fought against taking off your helmet in your dream. Now, when we're gone, seal yourself up tight. Break the airlock circuit so the door cannot be opened from the outside and open it to nobody but us. Or Mitch, if he should come back before us. We'll keep in constant radio contact. And what if anything happens to you? Well, hoping it won't. Now we're aware of what can happen, maybe we can fight it too. If you ask me, you're heading straight for trouble. We should get away from this place. It's got the mockers on it, and the sooner the better. Maybe we will, Lemmy, but we must find Mitch first. Yes, Jet. All right, Doc. Put on your suit and we'll go. We've got to find him. Right. <laughs> had happened to Mitch. By the time Jet and I had carried Lemmy into the living quarters of one of the land trucks, Mitch should have been there too. 
In fact, he was quite close to us, still up on the lower terrace of the mysterious city and about to head down the steps to where the trucks were parked. But he never got there. As you will remember, when Jet and I had reached the trucks and found that Mitch was not there, Jet had called him on the personal intercom system. Hello, Mitch. Where are you? Hi, Jet. I'm still out on the terrace, heading back to the trucks. Oh, I thought you'd have been with us by now. I'll be with you in a couple of shakes. Very well, Mitch. I'll let myself in. I've just reached the top of the steps now. Oh, and Jet. Uh, Jet. Hello, Mitch. Oh. oh, there you are. Hey. Hey, wait a minute. Well, that wasn't Jet. Hello. Hello. No, Mitch. It's not Jet. Is that you, Doc? It's not Doc either. But, but who is that? Hello, I... I said, who is that? Why don't you answer? Where are you going? Well, down the steps, of course. I've got to get back to the trucks. That's not the way. Huh? Yes, of course it is. No, Mitch. The stairs you want are on the next terrace. Well, uh, along here. That's right. Keep walking. Now, wait a minute. I'm sure it was this way I can. These are the steps. Here, what are you doing? They cut it out. Oh, for Pete's sake, what's happening? Where am I? How did I get here? What the... Hello, Jet. Hello. Hello. Hello there. Huh? Over here, copper. Oh, where did you spring from? I might ask you that. Come on over. I've got a fire going and my billy's on. You'd like a cup of tea, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's fine. Well, come on, mate. Sit down. Huh. Thanks. What's that? Dingoes. Sun's going down. They're starting up early tonight. You hunting scalps? Eh? Dingo scalps for the government bounty. I've got a swag bag full of them. No, I'm not hunting dingoes. I'm lost. I need help. And where do you have to get to? The... the city. I, I must get back. The nearest settlement they hear is Odin Data, 200 miles to the south. City is a fancy name for it. Two hundred miles. Maybe a little more. Oh, what is going on? Look, a little while ago I was in it, up on the terrace. The sun was high in the sky, and the next thing I know, I'm I'm wandering through this desert and night is falling. You've come a long way since noon. Huh? Apart from Odin of Data, there's no city within five hundred miles of here. They should count Marugi, and that's in ruins anyway. Is it in a valley? A, a long, wide valley? That's the place. Then take me to it, will you? The others will be looking for me, and I'm worried stiff. You got a camp there, then? Yeah, we, we park our caravan there. Well, show me which way to go. You've been in this part of the outback before? No, never. Well, I'll take you, then. Well, how far is it? Well, about a mile, just over the next drive. Oh, come on, then. What are we waiting for? Well, there she is down there. Where's your caravan? Oh, this isn't the place. You said a ruined city in the valley. But the, the, the city I'm looking for is that it's at least a mile square and, and built up in steps like a, like a great pyramid. And the valley is full of plants, like rhubarb. Look, I tell you, you brought me to the wrong place. There's no other place to take you. You better come on back to my camp. Look, I must find the valley. I, I, I must find Jet and Doc. Hello, Jet. Where are you? Hello, Mitch. Where are you? Hello, Jet. Hello, Jet. Hello. Hello. Nothing but an echo. That valley's full of them. When the dingoes get down there, you'd swear it was a choir singing in the church. Now, come on back to the fire, Digger. It'll be dark directly and you'll be getting cold. But the city. I must find the city. You can find it tomorrow. Now, sit down. Put this blanket around your shoulders. Oh, thanks. There's no tilda in the bag. Tastes pretty good, roasted over the red ashes. Like a bite? No, thanks. Just the tea. 
That's all I need. When did you leave civilization? Well, we we took off last April. Landed uh, just over a week ago. That's right. Is that all? Thirty-two years since I left the world behind. Started out looking for gold. Gold? And all that time, I don't think I found more than enough to fill a thimble. The game isn't worth it. But the dingoes are different. A pound of scalp the government pays. Listen to them out there. Look at their eyes glaring in the dark. For my rifle, I could drop them all right now if I wanted to. They just stand there waiting for it. And why don't you? Wouldn't be good business. In the dark, you can't tell the dogs from the bitches. I only collect dog scalps. Is that what the government wants? I don't give a hang what they want. For me, a female dingo is capital. What are you doing out here? What's your line? Astronautics. I'm an engineer. Astronautics? Astronautics. I travel among the stars. Ah, see what you mean. Thirty-two years ago, I felt much the same way myself. That's when I came out here to live in the desert. Only the dingoes and the stars for company. When did you decide to leave it all behind? Leave what behind? The noise, the fight, the jungle, the grind of city life. I told you, we we took off last April. It wasn't easy, was it? Something deep inside you says you should resist the design and go back. Ignore it. Fight it. Don't go. And you'll find peace and contentment. Thirty years I've been tramping over this desert. Thirty years. I'm still as young and as healthy as when I first started out. To look at me, would you think I was 62? You don't look a day older than 30. Exactly. This is the place to keep you young. Out here with the sand, the mulga, the eucalyptus, the dingoes and the stars. What more can a man want? Mitch! Mitch! Did you hear that? That was Jess. There down, it was the dingoes. In that tucker bag, there's a box of tea. Pass it out, will you? Is, uh, is this it? Thanks. How'd you like it, Strong? Look, if, before we go any further, I... I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like plenty of sugar? Oh, never mind the sugar. I, I'm talking to you. Sorry, I've got no fresh milk. Well, what's the matter with you? Can't you listen to what I have to say? Sit down, Mitch. And save your breath. Sit down. Mitch! Tell me. How do you know my name? What are you doing here, anyway? Where is this place? This is the Northern Territory. The Northern Territory? But where? Australia. Where else? Australia? On Earth? Where the heck did you think it was? On Mars? But this is Mars. It is, isn't it? Isn't this a red planet? Yes. And I'm a kangaroo. What what are you trying to do? Drive me crazy? Me drive you crazy. You walk into my camp 200 miles from the nearest town without so much as a belly to brew your tea in, tell me you're lost, you live in a pyramid and can't find your way home. Who do you think you are? Cleopatra? My name is... My name is... Yes, it's Stephen Mitchell. I'm an astronautical engineer. Now, listen, nearly seven months ago, I left the moon on an expedition to Mars. A week ago, I landed in the southern ice cap and, and with three other members of my ship's crew, began to explore this planet. And now I find myself here, and, and you tell me this place is Australia, back on Earth. Uh, I've met. my opinion, you've spent too long in the sun. You've got a touch of it. Not many miles from here, there's a cattle station run by a farmer and his wife. Tomorrow I'll take you there and they'll call up the flying doctor and get him to look you over. Now, will you lie down and take it easy? Or do I have to put you to sleep with the butt of this rifle? No, no, there's there's no need for that. Maybe I am the crazy one. Swag bag's unrolled. Lie down on it. That's it. Now, go to sleep. And while you're falling asleep, tell yourself you're not going to give me any more trouble. Yeah. But you'll yes. do exactly as I tell you from now on. Yeah, anything you say. Good on you. Right. I feel so 
tired. Awful. Tired. Good, then go to sleep. Tomorrow everything will be all right. Tomorrow everything will be all right. Tomorrow everything will be all right. me coming out there and opening in the search. With three of us no, looking, no, I mean... Lenny, you stay where you are. But, Jet, I feel so helpless just sitting here. If you feel well enough and want to make yourself useful, you can go into the driving cabin and keep watch from the astro hatch. Keep watch on what? On this place, on the jungle, on anything within view. All right, boy, I'll do that. I'll call you again as soon as I'm settled. Right, up. Come on, Doc. Right. Uh, how many hours of daylight have we left to us? Oh, about two. Well, if we don't find him by then, he's not safe down to cover somewhere. <laughs> Hello, Jet. Yes, Lemmy? I'm in the driving cabin now. I'm just taking up position in the astro hatch. Good. I can see you and Doc climbing the steps. Well, there's no need to watch us, Lemmy. You keep your eye on the places we can't cover. Yes, Doc. And in particular, keep your eye on the upper terraces. Uh, let's get going, Jet. Time is definitely against us now. Let's look at the spot where we found McLean bending over Lemmy. Uh, no, Doc. Let's start this way. Hello, Jet. Hello, Lemmy. Jet. He's here. Mitch, I can see him. Where, Lemmy? Walking along the path that runs along the lowest wall. Where are you now? Round on the far side of the second terrace. Uh, are, you, are you sure it's Mitch? Well, he's seen me and his wife and at me. Who else could it be? Hello, Mitch. Can you hear me? Hello, Mitch. Why doesn't he answer? Lemmy, have you spoken to him? No, mate, but if his radio's working, he should have heard me call you. Hello, Mitch. Are you receiving me? Hello? He doesn't seem to hear the ship's radio either. How far away is he? Only about a couple of hundred yards. Hey, wait a minute. What's up, Lenny? He's waving his hands about. Waving? Like he was a tic-tac man at the dogs. How do you mean? Oh, blimey, no wonder he's trying to tell me his radio's out of action. No wonder he doesn't answer our calls. Look, I'd better get back into the main cabin, Jet. Get ready to let him in. Very well, Lenny. Doc and I'll get back as quickly as we can. Come on, Doc. Right. Well, thank goodness we found him at last. And just in time, too. Another half an hour and the sun would have set in our hopes of finding Mitch with it. Oh. The first thing to do is to uh, reconnect the door circuit so he can let himself in. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I wonder where he's been. And what kept him so long? Must have been in some trouble for his radio to be on the blink. Hello, Lemmy. Uh, yes, Jed? Has Mitch reached the truck yet? No, but he can't be far away. Huh? Oh, that's him knocking on the door. <laughs> Who does he think he is, the milkman? He must think the circuit's still broken. I'll open the main door for him, Jet, and then... Oh, he's doing it himself. Now, Jet, will you be coming back into this truck and all, or you're you going into the other one? We'll come into that one. It's going to be a bit crowded, isn't it? Oh, we can put up with it for a little while. Well, he's about in. He's just coming through the airlock now. And here he is. Hello, Mitch boy. Where you been all this time? We won't be... 
Hello, Lenny. What's the matter? Surprised to see me? You. Oh, no. In episode 14 of Journey to Space, you heard Andrew Foles as Jet Morgan, David Kossoff as Lenny, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, Bruce Beebe as Mitch, and with David Jacobs and John Casper. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space is written by Charles Chilton and produced by him in the London studios of the BBC.